This podcast is part of the How We Are Network. For information on this episode and many other like-minded shows, visit howweare.org. That's H-O-W-W-E-A-R-E dot O-R-G. to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your host, Ray Harkins. My voice always starts off high, and then I kind of get into my pocket by the end of the intro. Anyways, the guest this week, holy shit, I'm pretty fucking excited about it. Steve Brodsky from Caven, currently plays in a band called Mutoid Man, played with Converge a little bit. Let's talk about him in a minute. I'll try to wrap my head around how to describe him. Yeah, then we'll get into it. Business, propertyofzack.com, great partners of ours. Go visit their site, find out about all the cool tours that are coming through your city, the latest releases, everything you need, they have. Check it out. Review the show, go on iTunes, type in some kind words about the show, or if you hate it, let me know as well. And then you can also drop some stars. It keeps creeping up. I like it. I appreciate the latest review, nasty, because they, they gave me a shout out in there. They were like, I know you read these religiously, and that's what I told you, and I do read them. <laughs> so thank you for that. And I've been kind of toying around with the idea of maybe switching out the song as far as an intro is concerned. The song currently is Balance and Composure. The song's called Quake came from a 2011 record called Separation. And I don't know, just maybe like a fresh coat of paint. It's not like the Balance and Composure guys are are irrelevant now or that song is terrible, but you know, just kind of changing it up. So if you have a suggestion on a song, email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. And maybe if I get a few of these ideas in, we'll start kind of kicking around and maybe one of these things can make sense. Some other stuff that's been on my head recently. I'm doing weird things (laughs) in the sense of I signed up to do an MMA class. I've never fought in my life. I've never done anything like that. But I feel the need to kind of step outside of whatever comfort zone I'm in and, you know, try something new. And I know that sounds like so cliched, but um, I don't know. This year, more so than the previous years of my life, uh, I'm just saying yes to a lot of random things and being like, like, sure, I'll try that. And I mean, that's kind of always been my attitude, but now more so than ever, just being like, okay, I used, used to say yes to things that obviously were like, oh yeah, that, that, like, I'm comfortable with that. But now I'm kind of saying yes to things that, uh, I don't know, don't necessarily fall within my either interest or wheelhouse or whatever you want to say. So, and maybe it's just because the new year. So you feel like, oh man, like time to start new, you know, first coat of paint. Like that's why I'm thinking about doing a new song for the show. I just had to get that off my chest. And I've also been playing music again with some friends. That's not going to be a full-time touring band. I'm not going to be touring, you know, 200 days out of the year, but it's one of those things that, you know, once if the music is uh, is up to snuff, which so far we've got one song, and I'm pretty stoked on it right now. And, uh, you know, more more on that as the project develops. I don't want to, you know, tip my hat and be like, oh, here's the band name and here's everything. Here's our first show. Like, that's not that's not where we're going. So just some friends jamming out, and it's awesome. So Steve Broski, Caven is such a huge band to me personally. They were the band, and I, I will get into this in the interview, but they pushed my boundaries as far as like what I personally would listen to. Like I remember getting their Beyond Hypothermia full length, which is basically just a collection of a lot of old seven inches, and being like, wow, they're heavy, yet they sing. And I remember me and my friends in high school just like devouring it and being like, my gosh, this is like an inspiration point. 
and then Until Your Heart Stops came out. And honestly, I didn't like it when I first listened to it. Probably for a good, I don't even know, I'd say a year. I just kind of, you know, it kind of came on, whatever. But then I saw them play those songs. Like it was pretty much on the release tour. And it just kind of, it, it really crystallized in my head how ahead of their time this band was. And then they continued to release records. They released Jupiter, which was just fucking massive. I remember buying it at a local record store called Vinyl Solution. I hounded them. Like I called them, you know, the day of the release and was like, did you guys have this? Like, no, we're getting it on Thursday. Call on Thursday. You guys have this? Like, yeah. I dropped everything, drove down to the record store, listened to it, and it was just like, was in awe. I just didn't know what to expect from it beyond the fact that I knew that they obviously weren't going to be a heavy band from their old standpoint. So Steve Brodsky, he he was, you know, the brainchild behind all of this, and he was a the vocalist and main songwriter and just, I mean, amazing stuff. So he was in LA, he was doing some solo shows, and I met up with him at a local coffee shop. So the audio that you have here, it, you will 100% hear everything that's happening in the background. I mean, it's a coffee shop, so that was just the most convenient location, and uh, I did everything I could to sort of isolate the audio in regards to, you know, you're not going to hear other conversations in the background or anything, but you can hear the busyness. You can hear the clanking. You can hear the coffee being poured. That's an exaggeration, but it, this is not your typical controlled environment that I like to record in. Completely, completely listenable. You're not going to be like, oh, dude, this is awful. Just a little caveat, but here's my conversation with Steve. Such a forthcoming dude. He talks about fucking street performing. If that isn't a tease, here you go. Here's my interview, and I'll talk to you afterwards. entry points of being aware of what you were doing musically. Jupiter was the first time I ever felt, I guess for lack of a better term, challenged in my life to be like, because by that point, I, I was all in on you guys. It was like, you know, I think the first time I saw you, I saw you at the barn in Riverside. You were off, I think it was right after Until Your Heart Stops came out. I think you guys only had the tour version of the LP. <laughs> and so I had already loved what you guys had done prior. So anyways, was very familiar with what you did. And then I think I saw you after that, you played the PCH Club with Isis on the Creative Eclipses EP. And that's when it was like, whoa, what do they, what do they got going on here? And so the Jupiter was the first time I felt like, as a music fan, for a band that I was already familiar with, and I'm sure you've heard this many times, where it's like, I felt like I had to grow with you. And like, not in a bad way, but just like, oh, I didn't have the musical palette to understand where you were coming from at the time. But then ultimately, like, through you guys is when, you know, it's like, oh, failure, this exists. Like, it was one of those interesting touch points in my musical life to be like, I needed to catch up with you guys as opposed to like, oh, here's another record that I would expect. And I'm sure during that process that was like, did you have that immediate feedback from kids being like, oh, I opened up a lot more because of that record? Or was it that immediate, like, fuck you, you guys don't sound like a metal band anymore? I mean, like, that's that trope has already been done, obviously, but... A mix of both, yeah, yeah, really, yeah. you know. I, we kind of looked at it like for every fan we were losing, we were hopefully gaining <laughs> at least another or maybe two more. Sure. So it's pretty interesting, to just, and also to see what was happening to our audience, like in terms of a gender divide, where oh, like... Yeah. There was a lot more women at our shows. What do you know? You know? Because <laughs> I'm not yelling at their face for like 45 minutes. 
that is not appealing to the female gender. <laughs> it was just interesting to see who is kind of leaving our musical lives, and then there is a whole new palette of people sort of entering. Right. So, you know, with some bands, I'm sure they make some sort of artistic change, and the interest level just drops. Sure. But with us, it was like a shifting. Yeah. You know, it was like this revolving door. In a sense, we, even being true to ourselves, we were kind of worried to a degree about how the record was going to be perceived. Right, of course. This is before it came out. Even wondering how Hydrahead was going to take it when we actually delivered Deliver the, the I'm sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, again, it was just this revolving effect. Right, right. So that, I kind of, when I think of that aspect of things... It was a sense of security. Sure. Knowing that we kind of did something right. Yeah, because it, it is... It, that's interesting, because I, I I mean, I'm viewing like that as like a shuffling of the deck. Like, you're shuffling cards, and you're just like, okay, like, we're putting a few more in as we've lost a few. Like, is that... I mean, because anybody that obviously, like, followed your career, like, could have... You know, the Creative Eclipses EP was put out there for a reason. It was like, oh, hey, this is where we're going to be headed. And so it's like, to have this shock when Jupiter comes out, like, you know... It, it, that was you guys trying to like you know usher the way in at least in my mind where I was like okay be, be prepared for what we're doing in the future we're not going to be doing all of this of our past so you you yourself were you born and raised in the Boston area or where did you come up I was born in Boston oh Boston proper yeah and I was raised in Methuen Massachusetts I don't know where that is it's a town about well it's, it's the city known as the town of Methuen okay it's about 35 minutes north of Boston. Okay. Um, there was a car dealership that was turned into what became the world's largest Burger King for a while. Wow. <laughs> Very exciting memories of opening month at Burger King when I was like, you know, five or six years old. Right. This is the biggest one in the world. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's so random that they would, like, that that would be their claim. And as far as like, oh, we, we got this prime spot of land here. We're going to make this huge Burger King. Yeah, it was this old car dealership. It was like two levels of Burger King. Right. You've got an arcade, you've got a golf course. Oh. It was insane. Yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. It was like magic for a you know a young kid. Of course, so. yeah. You're like, let me show up here. This is spectacular. Yeah, and then after a month, all that stuff was like roped off, you know? <laughs> Only for private parties and stuff. Are you an only child, and what was your family structure like growing up? I am the oldest of three. Okay. Yeah, I have a younger sister. Okay. And she's about four years younger than me, and then a younger brother who's about six years younger than oh, okay. me. Okay. Oh, okay, so your parents were very concentrated on on having having all this within a row. Like, yeah. Right, here's, here's two years. Here's... I guess so, yeah. That's a good way I, you know, to look I, at it. I just, I always think about, I mean, I, I have a two and a half year old son, so I always think about it in those terms, because the immediate question once you have one kid is like, oh, what are you having more? And like, my wife and I are not having any more, but you always see like, when your friends start to have kids, where it's just like, those little gaps where you're like, oh, maybe that was intentional that they did that, but you don't you don't reflect on it until it's like, brought up to you. Yeah, there kind of is a science to it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah there's a, the nine months that you're carried in the mother, and then there's a few months of recuperation, and then, oh yeah, all right, now we're ready to have another kid. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, but you, you you paved the way. You were the uh, you were the first on the scene. I was, yeah. And you're what your parents do for a living? My dad has always been involved in software engineering. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, he's had just various jobs through all different kind of like software engineering upstarts and okay. So in the um, tech community, because that there is a. 
pretty heavy tech community within like the Boston area and like the outlying areas as far as like large corporations and even other startups like you were saying. Yeah, it seems like a good area for people who have kind of settled down for that sort of career. Right, right, right. My mom has for quite a while now been working in the public school systems. Oh, cool. And um, I think part of what influenced her decision to do that was the fact that my younger sister has Down syndrome. Okay. And being that she's a child with special needs, my mom just basically wanted to take something that, you know, was basically like her schedule at work was going to be while my sister was at school. Sure, sure. And then when my sister got home, my mom wasn't working and she could tend to my sister's needs. Of course. So it's a pretty amazing sacrifice on her part. Of course, yeah. yeah. Any Anytime you you have a family member or you in, you encounter someone that's close to you that obviously has those circumstances, like, it always impresses me of the amount of, like, not only dedication, but you're just like, so many people are like, oh, that must be a burden, or like, oh, that, that, that must have been so hard in the family, and it's like, to me, it always strikes me as just like, the amount of love that gets, I mean, as cheesy as it sounds, the amount of love that is kind of injected within that environment, just because it does, where it's like, okay, this is... This is our reality now, and this is what you have to handle. Like, did you did you notice that within the family, as far as like, like this is you know we are we are here and we are ready to take care of you, sis. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, they did the best that they could, right? And like I said, my mom was making sacrifices. It was a little tough for me growing up at times because I, uh, I didn't really know anyone else who had a sibling, sure, with Down syndrome or or like any sort of really severe mental disability sure. because in her case it actually is quite severe yeah like it's very obvious from the physical aspects sure. down to like the fact that you can't have a conversation with her, sure sure you know so for a while it was a struggle for me to overcome some issues of embarrassment of as course. a result of that oh sure and that's something even alone that i've had to struggle with just admitting that yeah i was kind of embarrassed by that whole situation right right but you know, I think it kind of made me stronger in the end. Sure, you know, sure. and and just having more of like a an awareness of what people have to deal with in the world when it comes to mental disabilities, and sure. just having more of a tolerance for that part of humanity. Of course, yeah. Well, yeah, and it, I mean, it, I think it opens you up, especially once you do admit to yourself, like, oh, this shit was hard, and it really, like, I didn't know how to navigate that initially, because you're, like, I don't care who you are, or how compassionate of an individual you are, you're going to be like, well, how's this impacting me, you know, like, initially, but then it opens you up to probably have more of an understanding in general, like you said, not only of that specific, um, you know, instance, but then just in general, where it's like, oh, this broadens my perspective, I'm not just, like, knowing what's the, what what the normal is, quote unquote. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, and it was stuff like it wasn't huge in terms of the things I was dealing with. It was more sure. like I would prefer to spend time over my friend's house instead of, of having them come over to hang out at my house. Right, for right, instance, right. You know. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, but in a way, that kind of opened up my world in different sort of I don't know avenues that you know I was exposed to different kinds of music that way just spending time over 
my buddy's house who had an older brother and was into heavy metal and right. so you know there was there was an excitement to it as well like I I, I had a pretty adventurous spirit from early on so sure. it all kind of worked out yeah yeah you were getting these different inputs that some because you know the common way that obviously people get their head cracked open as far as music is concerned is usually their older brother and sister but you being the oldest don't have the luxury like you didn't have you didn't have your you know older siblings record collection to rifle through it was like well I gotta yeah. figure this out on my own until your friend's old your friend's older brother was able to show you that stuff exactly my dad had some pretty important records really so he, he was he was into music and kind of he was actually and he played guitar when he was younger oh really yeah he was in a band and um, you know growing up his old guitars were kicking around the house oh nice I have memories of trying to figure out how to play them <laughs> yeah. and just being intrigued by the whole thing sure what sort of stuff did your dad play he was uh, in a rock and roll band called the Discords. Amazing. Yeah, and uh, I actually recently transcribed some old cassette recordings that they had done uh-huh. in, like, you know, a basement playing Stones and that's so know, cool. Some some early rock and roll and sure, maybe maybe some originals too. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Because I mean, I'm sure as your musical career started to develop serious aspirations I'm sure what made more sense in his mind of you doing what you were doing rather than like oh I've never like music is not important to me why are you throwing your life away Steve yeah they were pretty supportive of it you know that's amazing I got to take uh, guitar lessons for about a year yeah private lessons sure and um you know, my dad helped me learn a couple songs here and there. Yeah. And helped me figure out some chords. And it was really supportive in that regard. Sure, sure. And so you, you uh, I mean, from the sounds of it, like the relationship that you had between your family was pretty pretty positive, besides the fact that obviously you were looking, you know, you were looking for other inputs and other outside things to keep you occupied because you necessarily didn't want to be at home all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was definitely, you know, an adventurous spirit where... I got to really, I was lucky, you know, some of the kids I grew up with in my neighborhood, um, we all kind of had an adventurous spirit and were, you know, turned on to like early heavy metal sure. and, you know, seeking it out and as, as, as best as we could for kids growing up in like the mid 80s, right, right. you know, the MTV generation. Sure. Um, the limited resources you had in order to which to discover that stuff. Yeah, it was like cassettes, <laughs> right? Cassette hit, hit parader, right? <laughs> hit parader. Yeah, yeah. We would like we would ride our bikes. Like we had like a little BMX crew, and we would like cruise down to the local plaza and go to you know the Osco Drug and the sure. magazine section. There was like hit parader, circus, um, Rolling Stone. Right, right, right. And that was our gateway into the music world. I loved that experience of a person going into a bookstore and like looking at that magazine rack like I still like going into a Barnes and Noble still like is like look at all those magazines like that's an exciting thing and there's tons of them now <laughs> so many and yeah. you're just like I thought print was dead it's like why is there all these like boutique magazines about you know like underwater basket weaving like you're just like who's buying this <laughs> but it's like well it's people that are interested in that community apparently please tell me you had a name for your BMX crew because it just sounds like something that kids of that variety would be like, dude, we're the wolf pack or some shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I I, I don't remember having a name right. for our BMX crew, but um, we were all like in a band together, and our bands had some pretty funny names, like okay. Paramecium. Oh, that's perfect. Which became Parasite, which then became New Breed. Oh, wow. Bliss. Wow. So th- and these were all 
bands that you were in and your friends. That, so it's like that whole crew was playing music together. It was very incestuous. That's amazing. Yeah. So how, there, there was like what eight or ten people within this sort of crew. Yeah, about that. Especially when high school hit. Right. Um, well, what started as you know this like small sort of neighborhood thing, then like turned into. You know, expanding to all of Methuen. Yeah. You know, then, oh, all right, there's actually more of us that are kind of into this sure. musical thing that's out there and we're hungry to explore it. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and so, obviously, like you were saying, your entry point was via your friend's older brother. And so, basically, metal is what you cut your teeth in. And was that like junior high? Like, or elementary, junior high? Or was that going into high school? I'd say it, it dates back as early as. Like really early junior high. Wow. Yeah, like or even maybe like fourth grade elementary That's school crazy. or something. Yeah, 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 totally. You know, like my family used to take um, trips to the Cape. Okay. A yeah. couple weeks every summer, so I would, I would bring a boombox with me and whatever tape collection I had at the time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I had like, you know, maybe like five or six blank tapes that. I would get into Skid Row, so okay, I would I would dub the first Skid Row record, sure. and I would listen to that for like a month or something, and then oh, this new Warrant record, you got to check this out. Yeah, yeah. So I would dub over Skid Row with Warrant, and that that was sure that was my That's Warrant tape yeah, for yeah. like a month or two. You know? Right, 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 right. Uh, was the style attractive to you as well? I mean, not only like the music, but like, did you find yourself wanting to like look like these dudes? Oh yeah, I uh, I did my best to grow out a mullet and grow um, <laughs> my hair as long as my mom would allow it. And I thought it would look really cool to just dye the sides of my head. Oh, amazing! Like red, you know, like yeah, like yeah, a yeah. nice bright red. So I got the clearance to do that. And, oh, that's um, incredible! Yeah, I, I, but that's very. It's, it's, that sounds very respectful as far as like you. Basically, you would like go to your mom and be like, All right, "How long? Like how long? Like shoulder length? Is that cool?" And she'd be like, "Okay, how about how about red here?" She's like, "Okay, just don't do blue." Like, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, my hair was like super wavy and kind of yes. uncontrollable. Like, you know, some 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 people are blessed with just like nice straight, straight manageable hair. hair. Of course, never had it. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. grass is always greener. And then yeah. those people that have the straight hair are like, fuck, I wish I had a little curl in it. And you're just like, well, I wish I had yours. Yeah, bum that they can't make dreadlocks out of it. <laughs> You know, because totally, who doesn't aspire to have dreadlocks? Yeah, and like you know, twenty different species of bugs grow yeah. festering on your scalp. It's perfect, right? Exactly. <laughs> and then you'll join catharsis, and then you'll be fine. <laughs> so basically, I mean, from right away, obviously, it, it, the idea of playing in a band like was attractive to you. You're like, okay, this is the thing that seems like something I want to do with my friends. Yeah, totally. It was because I mean, you were. I presume you weren't going to like concerts or shows at the time. No, I was too young. Right. I mean, I went to like. A select few big concerts. I, sure. I saw U2 when I was in seventh grade. Right. That was my first concert. You know, and Primus opened for them. Oh, wow. Pretty bizarre. That's weird. It was pretty weird. Yeah, I would, I'd imagine that they didn't go over very well. The place was like a third full. Right, right. That's true. You know, but um, my, I actually went with my cousin, a uh, close cousin of mine. He's like, we're like four months apart. Okay. And um, he actually turned me on to Primus and was like really keen on getting to the show early yeah, yeah, to yeah. see them. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. That was it, I guess. We couldn't really go to see shows. We're living in the suburbs of Massachusetts. Sure. We're too young to drive, so we just kind of had to make our own music and make our own shows and entertainment. Right. You and know? you were, I presume you were just playing a terrible version of the bands that you were listening to at the time, right? Like, you weren't really being like, all right, let's, here, let's, maybe if we combine some, you know, Def Leppard with Skid Row, I think we'll get this. Like, you were just 
just covers and stuff like that, I presume? Yeah, it was like Soundgarden, Stone Temple, Alice in Chains, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mud Honey, you know. <laughs> yeah, sure. it was like a very young person's grunge dream. Okay, got it, know? got it. When did the spectrum of kind of like independent music start to infiltrate was that more so in like high schools when like oh like that stuff started to make sense as far as you know hardcore and punk and stuff like that yeah I, I could remember being a freshman in high school uh-huh. and seeing kids that definitely didn't look like the jocks they had big pants on sure. they may have had dyed hair and like big baggy necklaces and skate clothes and right um, and skate shoes and just kind of like wondering what's up with these kids yeah, yeah. And I'm still wearing tight pants and like a tool hat Sure. Like, high, hopefully high tops, maybe. Oh yeah. yeah, for sure, completely. I can just, I can just close my eyes and imagine you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like flowing mullet, oh. bad acne. Sure, just, of course. Right. Everything you should be when you're a freshman. Right? Yeah, and you know, thinking I'm like the coolest dude. Right. You know, like like left of the dial. Right. But then there's this whole other like group of kids that kind of they have their own thing going on. They're older. Right. I don't really, I can't really place it. You know, but sure. but I know. So I'm, I kind of start putting the connecting the dots and figuring out. All right, these kids got something going on. There's and, right. And you know, I'll see them like smoking cigarettes. You know, yeah. between classes and you'd be like, I'm, like Whoa. Yeah, like something's going on with these kids. You yeah. know, like like they maybe they got like. There's a parallel universe somewhere. Sure, sure. And uh, so that was the beginning of it. And then, like, I think, you know, with bands like like Nirvana covering the Vaselines, right. the Wipers, etc., you know, seeing, like, a band like that really pay tribute to these roots. Like, yeah. here's where we got it from. There's something bigger and there's something else bubbling out there. And just being really keen to that and putting the pieces together that, like, okay, well, I'm going to find this. I yeah. want to find the roots to, you know, whatever it is that's the bigger picture. Sure. I like the idea that you're like, I am counterculture embodied. And then you saw something else more extreme and you're just like, whoa, wait a, wait a minute. Like, hold, hold the phone. Like, it was more so the idea that, yeah, you thought you were the edge of it. And then you're like, oh, there's more. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Especially in high school when, right. you know, all the middle schools just grouped together and, you know, the Methuen that I knew just became like eight times the size. Right. You know, and, um, you know, that's suburban America for you right there, man. Totally, totally. You know? Yeah. You're world started to open up and it was like oh wow did you like going through high school and stuff because you I mean you strike me as a very like easygoing is probably an understatement like you strike to you strike me as a person who's very just like yeah man like just hanging out like just chilling and, and not in a bad way but just to, like so I would infer that maybe your high school experience was basically like that where it was just like oh yeah man like you know I'll just kind of I'll kind of coast through and see what's what intrigues me and like did you you know did you dedicate yourself to studies at all or were you just like oh, I, I don't I was pretty into school, actually. Were you? Okay. Yeah, like, I, I got into it, and, you know, I kind of knew that if I just went home and got my studies all taken care of, I would have my parents off my back, and then the world was free. That's a huge... I, I, I mean, I've mentioned this on the podcast many times, where it's just like, how, once you make that realization that it's like, okay, if I do these things, if I kind of, you know, tow my end of the bargain... I can kind of do whatever I want. My parents won't be... And, like, so many kids make their high school lives miserable because they're just... 
at constant odds and you're like yeah. and you don't even get to experience probably a lot of the stuff that you want to experience because you're being limited it's true and plus you know by the time high school hit like I was pretty devoted to playing music yeah to have the freedom to play right. to do my music was already very important to me sure sure so I wanted to protect that and also, I kind of found that there was things about school that I could apply to my music. Oh, really? There were influences, you yeah. know, whether it was science or, you know, whatever I was getting out of the arts at the time. Right, right. Using the graphic arts program to, like, design stickers for my band. Sure, sure. I was just trying to pull from that and put it into this art that I had going on in the Right, side. right. Yeah, you saw the sometimes hard for... You know, because the, the constant high school thing. I mean, my wife is a high school English teacher, and she encounters this all the time. Where it's just like, you know, what am I ever going to use this in the real world? But you were seeing how the real world applications were able to actually apply to the obviously the art that you were creating. Yeah, totally. And it was there was lyrical inspiration right. that I could pull out of it because in writing classes, I was always writing something, and uh-huh. I just felt like I was able to take advantage of the freedoms that I could use from my assignments yeah and then I had that just laying around as like scrapbook material for music that I was creating on the yeah side. that's incredible that's yeah. it's cool that you you had the ability to kind of connect those two because that's a very uh, for lack of a better term that's a very mature thought like as far as just being able to recognize all that and how they can kind of coexist because usually it's like there's the idea of like school gets in the way of everything I want to do <laughs> Whereas yeah. you were like, no, they can they can commingle, like they can exist within one another. Yeah. For all intent and purposes, Cave In was that your first band as far as like playing shows and stuff like that? No, I had been in bands prior to Cave In that had played shows. Right. Um, Cave In was probably the first band that I saw this world that was existing, kind of right. like the one that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. That was thriving. Sure. And it seemed to just reach beyond the villain. You know, right? It seemed to reach all throughout the state of Massachusetts. It was alive in the cities. Yeah, yeah. It was in other worlds, like sure. other other parts of the, you know, the globe. And I knew that. I knew something was going on that was connected by this scene of like punk rock and hardcore. Right. And that was exciting to me. And sure. I wanted to tap into that circuit. Right. I wanted to put together a band that was finding its way into that world. Right, 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 right. You know, when the Beyond Hypothermia came out and, like, that was, you know, that started to spread its way, because obviously that was, like, you know, the internet still was in its infancy at that time, yeah. and so it was always one of those things, like, uh, I just remember Caven being kind of, a, especially from a West Coast perspective, being kind of, like, mysterious, where it was like, wait a minute, like, there's a dude who sings, like, and there's a guy who screams, like, are they the same person? Like, there was that, you know, just that idea of, like, well, what is it, like, and especially once the seven inches were, I mean, like I said, once it was compiled, but, like, when the seven inches started to hit out here, it was kind of just this, oh, wait, they, but they had a lead screamer, but then that guy quit, now it's just these guys, and, like... As, as my good friend Ben Kohler says, yeah. good cop, bad cop. Oh, 100%, yeah. I mean, that like, nothing could describe it better than that. Interesting to see that, and then, obviously, like, once you... Because you were, like, what, 19 or so when Until Your Heart Stops came out, 1920, or something like that? We're writing and recording that my first year of college so I would have been about 18 or 19 okay Um, and I remember that always being like people talked about that point too as far as like oh man like they're really young like and they're playing this really technical stuff because like (laughs) it was just this you know just the 
again, referencing the fact that the internet was still in its infancy, it was just like, you would hear all of these stories get passed through, like through a game of telephone, where it was just like, oh, these guys are young, because, you know, you had no way of ever seeing your band for us on the West Coast, unless it was, you know, a VHS, like, I remember that, God, there was this VHS compilation called, like, The Document of Thought or something like that, and it was like, it had old footage of you guys, it was like a compilation. The actuality of thought. Yes, and it had you guys as a five-piece on there, and I remember us getting that and being like, holy shit, like, this is the beyond hypothermia lineup, like, this is crazy, and it was just, and it was so funny, like, man, that's just, like, a relic of the past, because, like, now there are four people, it was just, like, not having the ability to witness something until it actually came in front of you was such a, a weird experience. That's awesome, man. Well, you yeah. know, I distinctly remember our first tour uh, and our first time playing in California, and there was a lot of excitement. Totally, totally. It really was, and it, that was that was a real trip for us, you know, because we're on the other side of the country. Sure. And just like what you're describing, we can't really imagine what people are doing on the other side of the world <laughs> yeah. and, and perceiving our music, if at all. Right. So we get over to California and, like, the shows are great. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and you're just like, what is this? Was that some of the first times that you started to be like, what, like, wow, this is, like, this is apparently a thing. Like, we can kind of, we can do this more than once. <laughs> we can travel out to California more than once. Like, yeah. did, it, did it start to... Did you start to feel that groundswell around until your heart stops? We did. Yeah. Um, it, it, we were so, like you said, we were, we were fairly young. And right. I mean, you have no perspective at that time. You're just existing in it. Yeah, we're, we're kind of existing in it. I think our, our, our hunger for, like, you know, artistic expression was also very young. Yeah, yeah. So we're just ready to move on to the next thing. You right. know, we're just kind of constantly sort of clawing at like the artistic possibilities that are out there for us especially after we became a four piece because that lineup once it came into place just it felt more comfortable than any other lineup prior sure. to that so you know as people and as artists you know we just we just got along right really well and you were like you felt as much as one as much as a band could be on the same page which is hard to do you felt like you were there yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. so so the, the groundswell was just sort of the icing on the cake right. for that, you know. And were you, um, you you were you were going to college at the time, or were you attempting to study at the time? Because you you didn't end up finishing college at the time, or did you? I did two years of college. Okay, I started out wanting to get some sort of degree in audio engineering. Oh, okay. The school that I was at was relatively new for that program sure. and most other things. Right. So the students really outnumbered the facilities there. <laughs> right, right. And it was like, well, okay, you can sign up for studio time between the hours of 2 and 3 a.m. Oh, jeez. I'm just like, all right. So I tried that like twice and, you know... Yeah, I, I'm a bit of a luddite when it comes to recording. I've sure. got my four track and right, right, right. You know, I've I've come a little bit of a ways right further since then. Right. But at the time, it was like trying to operate the Death Star, you know, and like, <laughs> You're like how do I do this thing? Yeah. So I was just I was really turned off by it, you know, and I just felt like, well, I'll stick to the four track. I'll be the lo-fi guy, and you know, work right. and work on writing music instead. Right, right. And I ended up just uh, graduating with a general degree in communications. Oh, okay. Got yeah. It. And just taking all, like, sort of, you know, a little bit of writing and 
I took, I took an acting class. I did a radio class. Just, right. You know, a little bit of like all the artistic community stuff. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. And you're so when you um, so did you actually drop out of college to to do cave in from a full time perspective? Well, I you know I can't remember if I could have gone for four years or not. Right. But I I, got, I did get an associate's degree. Okay. Okay. That's yeah. what you're saying. So you got your AA, and then you at that point it just made sense for you to obviously continue to pursue the cave in stuff. Yeah, and and um, Adam McGrath right. was uh, he was still in school for two years after that. Oh wow! So he he did a full four. Four, right? Yeah, you know we just kind of did what we could around his schedule. Sure, sure. And uh, but yeah, it, it all kind of timed out so that when Adam graduated, you know the band just kind of took off. Yeah, you were able to open the door from that. Yeah. Yeah, and really, it became our lives. Right. Did your, uh, like we were alluding to earlier, did your parents react, you know, when you were like, all right, I'm tapping out after two years, were your parents like, so what are you going to do, Steve? What do you mean? I think they were always a little concerned. Sure. But, you know, I wasn't really into drugs. Right. I wasn't really going out and getting into a lot of trouble. I didn't have a lot of sketchy stuff going on. They knew I was pretty, like, head into music. That's good. As long as Steve seems focused on this, like he hasn't he hasn't shown any signs that he wouldn't he's not trustworthy. Like he's he's proven himself to be a good kid. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. You know, um, and considering some of the kids that you know I, I grew up with, and, <laughs> yeah. and and they were concerned about me hanging out with. Of course, um, I think they were just happy that you know I could like kind of live on my own in the city and right. you know have it. They saw me quite a bit because we were actually commuting back from Boston up to Methuen sure. to, rehearse to rehearse in their right. basement. So, right. yeah, I was still around. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. They could keep tabs on me. How was, how was your brother with your band? Like, was he? Did he look up at you and be like, man, that's my older brother who's a weirdo? Was he like, oh, that's, like, that's cool stuff what he's doing? He actually started playing music with his buddies. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The funny thing about that was, you know, we had all our gear at my folks' place. Sure. He was still living at home at the time. So, you know, there were a few times where we'd come back and practice, and it was very obvious that our gear had been messed with. Right. You're like, there, come on. Yeah. There's, like, you know, a speaker cord, like, plugged into the input jack. <laughs> You know, yeah. and like all the knobs on the amp like turns. Yeah, yeah. turn 11. 11. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, we didn't leave it like this. Yeah, I had to have a word with him at one point. But that was actually really endearing to see some of his friends, you know, getting into hardcore and punk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And doing their own like mutated version of things. Oh, you totally, know? totally. They actually had a band called Crossbearer. Because there, there was also a band called Crossbearer in Atlanta as well. But that, I mean, obviously, two completely separate things. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm sure, because I mean, that, that gives you a sense of like, you know, a sense of pride where it's like, that's cool. Like, I actually helped them record a demo on my four track. That's amazing. Cool. Yeah. yeah, and they were asking me like for names of bands. I was like, "You guys should call yourselves." The Captain's a cool name for a yeah, band. That's and a good like, name. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna go with that. Yeah. So I recorded the Captain demo. That's amazing. Yeah. Because <laughs> it seemed to me, I mean, obviously after, like, you know, we were talking about Jupiter and that obviously opened up a whole different world to you guys. Um, I remember first starting to hear, like, you know, after you guys got signed to RCA and that was just so weird, especially for, like, people like myself who followed you for so long. And not weird in, like, a bad thing, but just, like, weird enough. Whoa, like, I mean, it makes sense because they're doing something that's more, quote unquote, commercially viable. But, I mean, not knowing anybody in the band. 
or you. It always it always struck me as like you guys, you know, like whatever, living in LA for you know three months or four months recording a record, like all these things. It felt like you guys were doing it because that's like what you did, as opposed to like what you actually had done in the past. You know, where it's like, oh, you guys should be a part. Like, yeah, come out, like fucking blow a lot of money in the studio or whatever. Like, was that is that perception somewhat true or like completely true as far as like I guess we feel like we should do that because we're on a major label now basically saw this as an opportunity just that in the sense like we could make this band our lives sure and this is a surefire way to do it at least for a little while right we don't know that we'll ever get this opportunity again sure so we're so just swing big it. right yeah um we're also pretty young and somewhat impressionable right and looking back it's you see these you see like you see four people you know the band right and then you see this sort of like cloud of individuals that are a part of your business of course and you end up just kind of giving up a little bit of control because that's essentially what you're led to want to do sure you're led to want to trust people to handle your business a bit and those people ultimately are like well you know what about recording here and spending x amount of months here right and working with this producer or doing this or that you're in this new world with people that have already worked in this world for a while right and you just end up kind of instead of figuring it out for yourself sure you end up kind of trusting these people to help guide you along yeah of course so you make decisions that are sometimes good and sometimes bad as a result you know because no matter what every situation is different of course you know no matter if it's in the same world or a different world right from my perspective there's no logical choice of like where the popularity that you guys had achieved at that point like you could of course release you know antenna on a a major indie label and it probably would have been cool but it's like I could see why you guys made that move there was never that like you know at least from my perspective there was never that cry like oh like cave in a bunch of sellouts like I mean the only reason that people called you that was just like oh don't play their heavy stuff anymore which is like such a you know asinine argument to begin with anyways Um, but I could see where it's just like you know if you're surrounded by people who've experienced it before you you're like well there's no reason that we shouldn't trust that experience you know and what makes these people who they are and what makes them do what they do and exist in the place that they exist is their persuasiveness yeah it's true right 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 yeah they can sit and be like yeah of course you guys need to do this like this is the thing we'll get you a house in Malibu you guys will be good like everything will be everything will be great yeah you know it's just sugar talk coming out of their mouths all day long you know right for sure but um that was attractive in a way because that, that was a whole world we'd never been a part of we didn't know if we would ever get a chance to see what it was like and see if we could exist as a as a as a unit in that world and you know it was definitely like really trying to uproot very very punk rock like deep with like deep roots in punk like just yank this thing out of the ground and put it somewhere else and it was a real mindfuck for us oh I can imagine and I mean like trying to trying to rebound from the idea of like okay we you know our the cave-in as a brand is quote unquote tarnished as far as like oh they're you know they're done. They had their they had their moment in the sun. It's not. It didn't work out for them. <clears throat> um, and then being able to, in your own head, trying to get past that, where it's just like, well, no, like we're still the same people creating this music, regardless of our circumstances. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that was probably like the lowest of the low, where it was just like, oh, like, all right, like I guess we got to get out of this somehow. Yeah, that came about. 
I don't know, uh, maybe like less than a year actually after our record really? was released. Yeah, because the situation was that the label was pretty much a completely different environment of course, than right. it was when we signed. You know, our A&R guy left the label like... I think it was as soon as like either three weeks or three months after our record was released. Sure. We weren't even assigned a new, an, another A&R person up until like nine months later. Yeah, you're like, cool. Can we our, talk to over there? Yeah, when our record was quote unquote dead in the water. Of course, right, right, right. You know, so, and then we started making demos of what we were working on and right. submitting that to the label. You know, that was after like really just trying to like squeeze a couple thousand dollars out of them just to sure, make demos. these recordings. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it was like, huh, you're going back to the Cookie Monster vocals. Sure. What's up with that? You guys are going backwards. You're reverting. Right. You're reverting to that, that dum-dum music you were playing when you were a kid. It's like... Yeah, and it was like red flags all over the place. Sure, you sure. Know? But we were really fortunate in that the contract that we signed was, you know, it had some very protective measures put in there for right. our benefit. Of course. We got money coming out of the deal. Oh, that's great. We got to keep the demos that we created. Right, the perfect, that eventually ended up the perfect pitch box. Yeah. yeah, and there was no ownership to anyone individual in the band, so, right. you know, we were signed as a band, we were released as a band, Yeah. and it was like a clean break. That's good, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it was like very much unlike any of the horror stories that right. a lot of other bands have experienced. Right, right. Yeah, it's like, because you, you could, it was shitty what you experienced, but at the same time, there were enough positives going out of it that it was like, oh, this is like, this is okay. Because it's like, I mean, for, for a person like yourself, who obviously has done a lot of different musical things throughout the main musical thing. Yeah, I mean, situations like the one that we didn't go through. Right. You know, the horror stories can they can kill bands they can they can kill the artistic and yep. you know motivations of individuals and totally you know and it can taint the moving on process for people just trying to go from that point to whatever to next musical yeah yeah it's for it's, sure. it's awful so yeah for for people like us we thrive creatively outside of cave and right. that was very important oh totally I personally would be remiss if I didn't mention Kilowatt because it was one of those things where I remember reading in some random interview. I want to say it was, uh, I don't know, it was, it was it was when you know early two thousands when zines were obviously still more of a thing. And like I remember reading some interview where if you were saying where it was just like you you personally are uh, so prolific but so particular and obviously what you put out there that it's like you know oh yeah I gotta like I gotta save full like a hundred two hundred songs or something like that you know. I I mean, I'm, I'm sure that was just like that was a that was a you know throwaway remark from you, but it was like it always struck me where it's like, well, yeah, it seems like the stuff that you do put out, even though it is a lot, there's always that feeling of I've got a lot, I've, I got a lot, I'm working on at all times. And that you've always struck me as that person, which is like I got like 35 irons in the fire as far as music is concerned. Yeah, it's true, and it's it's worked to my benefit, and it's also maybe stretch me a little bit thin of course but um I think as the years go on I've learned how to be a better editor <laughs> uh with the help of some friends sure um, yeah and you know that statement wasn't too far off the mark you right. know okay. I mean I spent a lot of time growing up you know learning how to play my guitar by recording right you know that's a great mirror 
it's like a sonic mirror in a way, you yeah, know, to yeah. really hear what's going on and to fine tune what you're doing. Totally. Especially for voice. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm also a pack rat yeah. when it comes to my music stuff and, you know, memorabilia, zines, right. uh, stickers, tour passes, all that. So I do have quite a few tapes yeah. of myself kicking around. And, um, but yeah, it's like. It's just me kind of figuring it out. Right, you know? right. And I, I do have um, this idea that it would be kind of nice to put it all out there at some point, especially with the internet. It's like, yeah, it's it's just, it could be its own digital universe, and people can take their time and comb through it if they want to. And, right, right, right. And, and, and that's that. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I definitely, like, like we were referencing when you guys obviously were making the, the sonic switch back to, you know, playing more heavier music, I, I distinctly remember you guys going on tour, I'm fairly certain with Every Time I Die, and it was like, whatever, maybe 2005, 2006, I can't remember exactly when. We did that tour with them, I believe, and it was either late 03 or early 04, 04. maybe right. 04, yeah. And I just remember, it was one of those things where it was like that, you know, everybody was talking about, I was just like, oh dude, like, Kevin's gonna play the early shit, because like, that was that was the common conception where it's just like people people were still holding that hope on like yeah. oh yeah when you were touring off of Antenna like oh I swear to god they're gonna play you know they're gonna play Beyond Hyper they're gonna play Crossbird whatever <laughs> and it's just like like by by that time you were just like they're not like they're not but then when you guys did that tour I just remember the level of excitement when you did start to play that stuff and the thing was is like you just from a fan's perspective and like watching you guys like you genuinely enjoyed it it wasn't like this trotting out of like alright people have bugged us for fucking years now I guess we'll do it like we're annoyed by this so like it seemed like you genuinely were like alright like this is cool we can we can brush this stuff off and bring it out again was that the general consensus where it's like yeah this like this would be fun or was that still was there still that level of like oh I don't know like this this could be weird I don't know if we'll like be in the right mind space to play this stuff I think we were maybe concerned about how to fit it in with the rest of the material that we had written since until your heart stops (laughs) right right but um I think once we got past that, um, it was fun. It was it was a release, you know. Right. Especially when it came to working on Antenna, we wrote and then rewrote and rewrote again and recorded and demoed and then rewrote and you know those right. songs got so convoluted. Sure. By the end, that like the original spirit for a lot of that material was kind of lost. Sure. You know, and that was up until the recording, you know? Yeah. And we made the record, and then we went out and toured on it. So, you know, the Until Your Heart Stops stuff coming back into the picture was a way to, like, reintroduce some older material, make it feel new, and just revisit a time where we weren't tainted by any of that, like, overwriting and overthinking. Yeah. Um, so it was nice. It was, yeah, I was like, hey, this is, this, so this is what it was like. Yeah. <laughs> this is, I remember this. And, you know, I think we've all been an, a fan of, like, the surprise element of sure. going to see a band play. Right. Which is, you know, look at the Melvins. You never yeah, know yeah, what well, you're going to you, get. Yeah. You'll either get a great set or one of the worst sets you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, as far as, like, what they're choosing from. Like, hey, we're going to play 40 minutes of feedback and you'll understand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. It'll be the best feedback you've ever seen. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, so that was another element of it, too. Just right. knowing that people weren't expecting it from us 
and yeah. just throwing it out there. Right, we can still keep people on their toes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You started to tour less, and Caven started to become less a part of your life from the you know business touring machine side of things. Was it difficult for you to um, mentally transition where it's like, as far as like, oh, like I have to exist in the real world now? Because I mean, that's a hard. A lot of people can't make that transition uh, either. I mean, it, you eventually do because we're as humans we adapt, but. <laughs> The idea of, of being like, okay, well, like this, you know, me being in a different city, you know, 300 days out of the year, like, it's not going to be a part of my existence now. Was it difficult for you to pivot right away, or was it like, oh no, this is nice, like this whole, this whole routine and normalcy? Yeah, it was uh, equal parts, like humbling, sure. but also liberating uh -huh. in some ways. Because by that time, did you did you go immediately uh, to back like back to the Boston area, or were you kind of? You know, did you go to New York? Like, where, where did you end up after kind of the, all right, well, I, I'm going to rejoin real life now. When everything with Caven kind of died down, yeah. um, Caleb moved to L.A. Sure. to start a family. Mm -hmm. And Jr. moved to Germany. Right. Um, and basically, Adam and I kind of held the fort down in Boston. <laughs> right, right. And... Yeah, we were scattered for about four years. Sure, you sure. know, just trying to put our own lives back together. Sure, as individuals. It, it's interesting you put it that way, like putting your lives back together, because like they, a lot of people don't cognitively recognize the fact that it's like, hey, I've I've put my life on pause, like the life that most people lead. I put that on pause for five, ten, how many ever years that you exist within the confines of a band, yeah. and then having to like be able to take those like reclaim those pieces that you feel like you put on pause you know I, li I like how you put that though. those like the puzzle pieces together it was like yeah I got a few of them but there's a lot of shit that I just haven't done in a while yeah like, like have a job or whatever like yeah work a full time job being in one place for a while right yeah it was really just trying to figure out kind of a quote unquote normal life again sure sure um, but you know I think we were always still trying to be active in music, of course. you know, even apart from one another. Totally. And um, that's an addiction, at least for me, that continues pretty strongly. So... Were you, what, what, what jobs were you doing in that time? Were you just kind of like piecing things together like when you were in Boston as far as like... You know, I ended up um, actually doing a little bit of street performing. Really? Oh yeah. I got a, uh, a subway license to play in the subways of Boston and a license to play in the street in Cambridge. Oh shit. Yeah. And were you, were you just doing just random songs? You were original stuff? Like It was a mix of everything. Some covers, some originals. You know, um, it was a way for me to kind of work out some new material. How how did you find that being that's not a normal trend of thought <laughs> for a person to be like, oh hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna perform on the street, like especially when you have done what you've done as far as like because usually the common conception is like, oh look at that homeless dude playing guitar. Like, <laughs> I mean that's not, I mean that's and that's not that's not always necessarily true, but the fact that you were just like, oh, this is a good opportunity to play in front of 99% of the people that will walk by me and not give two shits about what I'm playing. Like, oh, like, yeah. It was very humbling. Sure. Yeah. And it wasn't the first time I had done it. Actually, um, in like 2000, 2001, yeah. I had a similar instance where for like a few months, sure. I got my license and went out there and just did it and figured it out. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I think at that time... 
I'd been fired from a, jo- a temp job because sure. uh, I was working at a, uh, the Charles Hotel okay. and uh, as a receptionist, and I didn't have a perky enough phone smile. That was their reason for ditching me. A perfect enough phone smile. Yeah. yeah. So in my mind, I was like, you know what? I'm just I'm not fit for. I was a lot younger then, so sure, sure. like. I was like, you know, I took it kind of hard, and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna make music work somehow, even if I have to play in the goddamn street. Right. And and you're like, and then you did it. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it it was kind of a trip because the first I remember distinctly the first day doing it, Uh I was uh, I was down in there, I was down in Parks, uh, yeah, Park Street for like four hours, Uh and made like 150 bucks. Wow. Yeah, and I was like, damn. (laughs) That's, like, that's like, as much as I can pay for a show. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like playing music. All, you know, I don't, I'm, it's like I skip all the waiting around of playing right, a right. show. Right, You got to load it at three. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's tax-free. I get to keep all the money. It's cash under the table. Right. Cool. Wow. wow. Yeah, yeah. But did you meet a lot of weirdos. I can only imagine. You get people coming up to you like, oh, cool. You know, I play guitar too, man. Can I, can I use your... Can I, can I play you a song? I just... And you're like, no, no, I'm not going to hand a total stranger my guitar right. in the in the subway. In the street. Right, yeah. right, yeah. You know, especially playing it late at night, you end up playing just for like all the homeless guys, of all course. the drunks, sure, just kind of sitting around, smelling like booze. Right, right, right. Um, and then nobody wants to be around you, of course, because of that. And you're like, all right, well, you're like, yeah, right, I gotta, right, I guess I'll go home now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I guess time to close up shop. And then, yeah, like you said, there's the perception that, like, you're homeless or right, you're right. struggling. Right. So I had people, like, buying me Big Macs, you know, <laughs> like, buying me food. Like, here you go. Here, I don't have any money, but here you go. Here's a Happy Meal. Right. Um, I, one person was really apologetic. They wanted to give me money, but they had none. Okay. So they gave me all the, their magazines. They had, like, a stack of, like, tabloid magazines that they gave me. And we're like, here you go. Here's some reading material. That to me, this sounds like this sounds like a, a concept for like you know like a, a miniseries comedy. Like you could totally just see that like that oh, idea yeah. of like the central character being a street performer and all the wacky shit that happens around. It, it's it, dude, it's just total. It's totally its own world. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. incredible. Well, yeah. It's just cool to me that kind of lends back to how you are as a musician, where you're just like you know I. I I have this this wealth of material that I I want to express and get out and you know it it's always struck me as obviously it's cathartic for you like you can't there's certain people where it's just like you you either see this as like okay this like this is clearly a business move or whatever like you know this is clearly you're expressing yourself but there's obviously other intentions behind it whereas most of the stuff that you've done you know especially once you started to release your own solo stuff you know back you know it struck me as like it was I have to get this out I'm already like I'm, I'm existing here but I, I, I I've got this stuff gotta get it out of here and that's why you can you know you can go on the street before me be like yeah it's fine like why would I not do that yeah and it was a way for me to get better at my instrument sure sure you know because around like especially around like 2005 right I really wanted to learn finger picking like okay. to develop a finger style sure sure you know some of my favorite guitar players Jimmy Page Elliot Smith right you know John Fahey sure they were doing this thing it was very sort of mystical to me and I was like I grew up playing metal hardcore punk <laughs> right you know just hacking away at the guitar sure finger style was like the furthest thing from anything that I had grown up doing so I just 
really just I just went head first into it that's awesome you know? and I went out there and was learning in front of people like right, just right. total randoms totally so I was like in a sense yeah I was like on the street or in the subway right trying to figure this style out and I was around people so that kind of put the pressure on sure yeah like you but know there's no risk like there's no risk no one really gave a shit half, half the people down there wearing headphones anyways <laughs> not listening to me so right. yeah did, any, did anybody ever recognize you yes okay absolutely like, yeah wait Steve, Steve? is that wait do you, are you senior Caden like did... yeah hey you know could we hear some cross bear <laughs> oh my god no alright here's five bucks anyways cool that's amazing you look like you need it <laughs> I could just like because I mean it's just like it, it's just one of those things that you don't outside of the context of where you expect to see a person and you, then you do see a person you're just like what so I, I can only imagine what people are just like is that really him over there yeah, yeah, and I'd be like, "Hey, can you hold my spot? I really got to take a piss. I've been here for like three hours." Right. Yeah, I need the, like this is prime territory. I've been here since seven a.m. Oh like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, and the you know the obviously like what you're doing now with you know it's always cool to see people be able to um, you know evolve and be able to do all these different aspects from you know obviously what you're doing with like Mutoid Man and like you know, obviously what you're doing with your solo stuff. Is it one of those things, like, would you ever want to do that whole, like, all right, dude, let's, like, fucking get in the van again? Like, you know, does that, is that appealing to you still? Or is it, like, no, I just like to be able to do these these things that can exist on my own terms rather than relinquishing it to someone else, if that makes sense, you know? Where it's, like, okay, oh, I'll be a part of the machine again, you know? Does that yeah. appeal to you still? Or is it just, like, where you're at now you like? I go back and forth. Yeah. Um... Something has to have its own legs. Sure. It's got to be kind of pulling me to do it. That's you know, true. I'm at an age now, and I've also been through enough experiences to know that, or simply maybe just not even have the energy to really push something. Right, right. You know, something's got to kind of have legs of its own. Sure. And be pulling me out there. Got it. And throwing me into that world again. Right, right. Um, otherwise, it's, you know, I'm 30, I'm, I'm 34, I'm about to turn 35. And sure. It's just harder to, to have that youthful energy to, like, force the world to... Look at me, you know. Right. Listen to me. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense because it definitely it takes a certain mental stamina to be able to exist in the idea of, like you said, just that whole cycle of, especially where we're at now, where it's like, you know, you're essentially you're just promoting yourself, like, yeah, in some fashion, and you have to be able to be comfortable with that to some perspective, but then also be like, well, what I'm doing is still artistically cool, so you should probably find it on your own, hopefully. Like, there's that level of, like, how much do I push this and how much do I just let it naturally get out there, you know? Yeah. Especially from where we're coming from, where that wasn't, you know, obviously social media didn't exist when we were pushing our own bands, like... Yeah, 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 totally. And, uh, yeah, so I know I can't do it alone. Right. You know, I got to have other people kind of helping me get the word out there. Right, of course. So, you know, if I'm involved in something that it just seems too hard to get people on board, then, yeah, yeah it's like I don't have the energy and I, I to put to really force the world to try to listen. And I also know better. I'm like, okay, yeah. well, maybe... 
you know, maybe maybe this isn't the thing, right, right. you know? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. on the same token, I'm, I'm pretty far in the hole. You know, I've been playing music for, I don't know, 20 years now. Sure. Just, kind of going at it and it's coming various waves of success and failure of course and um you know in a, in a way it's kind of what i do best right and i'm very honest with myself about that and you've never uh just for your musical output and the way you you know the way you present yourself the common conception of a person who's a singer is that like okay they're obviously trying to be the center of attention and you've always struck me as a person that's never i mean you obviously you feel comfortable with it because you've done it for years yeah. but the idea of just like fucking look at me dude like look at what I'm doing right now like you've never seemed to have that really large sense of uh, an ego and I don't mean that in a, in, in a derogatory sense yeah. but just like that idea of like okay I'm singing and all the attention should be focused on me you know and so like I, that probably gives you the perspective of where you're coming from where it's like well yeah like I'm, well okay. I'm very arrogant I'm just very good at hiding it yeah you're like, <laughs> you're like I just keep the cards really close to the best yeah it, it's that acting class that I took in oh, college yeah you're just pulling from that past experience because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean you, you do find those people who are just like you know how I, I put it where it's like the reluctant the reluctant front man where they're like because I have this skill and what I believe is some sort of talent like I I, I don't know no other choice besides being that guy that people are going to pay attention to and like you've always struck me as that person where it's just like well yeah like I guess I'll do this because I like singing but do I want everybody staring at you know do I want a thousand people staring at me I think as I've grown into a solo performer right become more comfortable with that concept sure sure and it's a really difficult thing to overcome. Sure, sure. You know, it, uh, in a band setting, it's easier because you've got other people to take some of the attention away. Of course. And it's awesome because, you know, if you've got a killer drummer in your band... Yeah. It, it, don't, it, don't pay attention to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so will I. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be, you know, I'll just be like right. really getting off on it, you right. know, and... Um, but yeah, so that's a challenge in itself to be a solo performer and just to be comfortable with the room and to like find those little gaps of silence where people are like, you know, not talking over you. You're kind of playing in between the conversation. Right, right. You're keeping people from talking to each other. And right, like, right. And uh, it's, a, it's a really, it's an art in itself. Totally, totally. The ebb and flow where you're like, because obviously it's like because all the attention lies on you, you have, I'm sure there's a sense of like, how, how charming do I need to be? Like, and not in a, like, not in a contrived sense, but just like, yeah. you know, how, mu how much of myself do I need to put in here? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, kind of letting loose a little bit, you know, like the other night at the slide bar. Right. I had a few drinks in me and, you know, <laughs> right. I'm like fishing around in my pocket for a thumb pick and I'm like, oh, you know, excuse me, I'm just looking for my butt plug, I mean, my, my thumb pick, you know. <laughs> Yeah, just, I don't know. Just getting a laugh out of people, right? Just it's goofing, like, right? I'm just I'm a dude with a guitar up here. You've probably seen this a hundred times, right? 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 So you know, let's not pretend it's like anything but that, right? Yeah. Right, right? 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 So that ultimately lends to the fact of what you know you're like what you're doing now, and obviously your experiences have led you up to where it's like, oh, okay, this is this is what I'm comfortable in performing, you know, and I I enjoy that aspect of where I'm at, and I don't yeah. have to do anything that I essentially don't feel comfortable with yeah which is awesome yeah and sometimes it's good to feel uncomfortable it makes you feel alive sure sure and um it gets your survival instincts really ripping and roaring yeah which going back to the whole sort of world of 
you know, corporate cave-in, quote-unquote. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, that was an exciting part of it, too, was just the, the complete unknown of it. Sure. Even though we've read all, like, the the stories of bands in that world and kind of going through the ringer, it's never the same as just going headfirst yourself. Totally, totally, yeah, because yeah. you, you'll have it firsthand, and yeah, you'll be like, this is entirely different than all these other stories, so. Mm-hmm. Well, I really appreciate you fucking hanging out and waxing nostalgic, but also talking about <laughs> everything in between. Awesome, man. So I, I, yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. So there is Mr. Brodsky. Thank you again for him accommodating me into his schedule because it took a, a few emails back and forth and like, oh, can you meet this time? How about this time? And so, yeah, big ups to him. And uh, yeah, thank you to Talia, who is his publicist and was able to set this up for us as well. Tom Richfield is our editor. Visit propertyofzack.com. Visit 100wordspodcast.com. And for any of you listening, I always like to give a little tease at who's coming up on this show. Next week, we have Dan Lampton from Real Friends. And then after that, but Jordan from Newfound Glory. And there's so much more coming up. I've got, oh man, such great shit for you. So stay tuned, hang out, and until next week, be safe, everybody. Hey!